The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Thank you. It is good to, to be here. Uh, it's good to hear singing. To, uh, it, hearing you sing reminds me of hearing Aunt Barbara sing. And that was rough for me. Um, growing up with her, her teaching me so much and uh, singing a lot. It was uh, really good, and I thank you for that, and I praise God for that, uh, for allowing me to remember that love uh, from my aunt. So thank you. Uh, if you will, turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. And while you're turning there, I'm going to read a couple of other verses out of the New Testament. Exodus chapter 17, but I'm going to read John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus speaking to the Jewish leaders, he says to them, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. And so Jesus speaking to the Jewish leaders says the scriptures bear witness about him. And so what scriptures would Jesus be talking about here? Is he talking about the New Testament, uh, the Paul's letters? or No, he doesn't have any of those yet, right? Those have not been written yet. So when Jesus, speaking to the Jewish leaders, says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. Later on he says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. So Jesus says Moses wrote about Jesus. Also in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 24, he says that, speaking to the, the two men on the road to Emmaus, he says, and Luke says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures things concerning himself. So again, Jesus teaching those two from Scripture, and when he was teaching them to from Scripture, he's telling them, this is about me. Okay, and also he says that, thus it is written that Christ, well, I'm going to scoot up a little bit in verse 44. He said, um, these are my words that I spoke to you while I'm still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture, and he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And so there he again says those books, those uh, parts of Scripture are about him, and more specifically, that he should suffer and die and on the third day rise again. So he says Old Testament Scripture is written about him, and more importantly, it's written about the gospel. The Old Testament is about the gospel. So I want us to look at that this morning as we read Exodus chapter 17. I want to read verses 1 through 7 this morning. Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, 
Why do, you, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Thus Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you, will stri you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, It is the Lord is the Lord among us or not? Father, I thank you again for your word. I thank you that we can gather as your people and we can hear from you. So Lord, I pray that you speak to us now this morning. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, for rising again, for defeating death, for defeating the chains of sin, conquering those things in your death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, I thank you that you have ascended into heaven where you reign today. You are sovereign, Lord, and we thank you for that. We can trust you in that. So now speak to us. Change our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to set up the context here a little bit. We know that to get a little bit of history of this in the background, first we know that God's people became slaves in Egypt. You can read that uh, in the Old Testament. And we also know that God heard the cry of his people, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so then he went to Moses and said he will deliver his people out of the hand of the Egyptians. So he goes, he chooses Moses to go and to deliver that message to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Uh, we see there, even as we sang about earlier, uh, God is the great I am. Moses kind of pushes back with God, says, God, I don't know uh, who you are. Who do I say you are? And he says, I am. Say, I am who I am. He says, go and tell them. I am says, let my people go. And Moses says, well, I, I, I'm not really good at speaking. You know, I, I can't. How about send someone else? You know, and he says, no, Moses, you go. Well, I stutter. I can't really speak well. I'm not really really good. Can, can you send my brother, Aaron? And, and God says, well, you can take Aaron with you. How about that? And uh, so after that discussion, um, we see Moses goes. And he goes and Moses and the plagues, uh, God reveals that he is God and that there is no other. So he uses those plagues, he uses Moses and the plagues to reveal to Pharaoh that there is no one but God. And most of us, most of us know the story that Pharaoh uh, lets his people go, he lets God's people go, but then he pursues them, he changes his mind, he pursues them, God parts the Red Sea, his people cross, but then the water uh, comes down on Pharaoh and his people, and it kills them. So, so then the Lord 
has promised not only to free his people from Egypt and from slavery, but also to deliver them into the promised land. That is God's promise to them. So now they are on their way to the promised land. And this is where we pick up the narrative here. Again, in verse 1. It said, And all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of, wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. There's no water there. Okay? The Lord just brought them out of Egypt, parted the Red Sea, so they could cross, made earlier, made bitter water sweet, rained down bread from heaven for them to eat, and now they are grumbling because there is no water for them to drink. Do we see them praying to the Lord to say, Lord, we've seen all these things you've done for us. How about give us water? We're very thirsty. Do they do that? No, they don't. No, what do they do? Verse 2. Yes. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? So instead, we see that the people quarreled with Moses and tested the Lord. We'll go a little deeper here with this, uh, this setting, this word quarreled. Uh, we see here twice in verse 2 is really um, more like the word complaint. And some other versions of the Bible use the word complaint here. This is a complaint. And so if you think about complaints, uh, think about a court trial. Someone brings a complaint against someone else, right? And then you go to court. And so it's a, a, you have a trial. And so this word is complaint, and this quarreling is more like a lawsuit. So they're bringing a charge against God. They're wanting to put God on trial. Why? Because they say God has abandoned them in the desert and left them to die. Not only they, they're going to die, their children are going to die, and their animals are going to die. And we see that in verse 7. They say the Lord has left us here to die. The Lord is not among us. We also see it in verse 3. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Who really brought them up out of Egypt? Was it Moses? No, it was God. But to the people, God has, was not there. He's left them. He's abandoned them. So now, therefore, they're accusing the representative of God, Moses. Verse 4, So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. I love how Moses says here, Moses is not, not a part of those people now. He said, what, what do you want me to do with these people? Not, hey, what do you mean to do with, with our people or your people, God? He said, what do you mean to do with these people? They're grumbling. They're wanting to stone me and kill me. And if you read through Exodus, you'll see that happen a lot. Uh, Moses uh, I'll represent his people to God. And God will say, hey, these are stiff-necked people. I'm about to wipe them out. And then Moses will say, well, God, actually, you made a covenant with them. 
And so therefore you are to redeem them. Or Moses, God will say to Moses, here's what I'm going to do with these people. And he's like, God, these people are terrible. These people are no good. And so you see that going back and forth as you read through the Old Testament. So we see, again, verse 4, So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. Okay, this stoning is not an act of a mob scene. Often when we think of stoning, we think of a mob. This is a trial, okay? And this is, uh, it's part of the trial. It's, it's the execution phase of a trial. If someone goes on trial, and if you're found guilty, then they have the execution phase of the trial, right? So you either, whatever you've done, if you've broken the law, then you pay the fine, or you go to jail, or you get put to death. So this was the execution phase of the trial. The people are wanting to put Moses on trial for God abandoning them. And they are wanting him to be found guilty and stone him. So they're saying God is guilty of bringing them into the desert and leaving them there to die of thirst. How do you think the Lord felt about this? They grumbled against the Lord. They brought a complaint against the Lord. How often do we bring a complaint against the Lord? How often do we say in our lives that, I can't believe I'm going through this right now to someone else. We're speaking to someone else. I can't believe I'm going through this. I can't believe our nation is going through the things it's going through. I can't believe this is happening to me. Who are we really complaining about? Who's sovereign over all things in our life? We're really complaining to God about God. God has put me where I should not be. I don't deserve to be where I'm at today. Who chooses what we deserve? We can grumble and complain a lot instead of praying to the Lord. We see through Scripture different times of, of the Lord's anger and wrath burning against sinners. This could have been one of those times. Let's see what happens next. Verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand a staff which you struck the Nile, and go. So the people want a trial, God will give them a trial. The elders here are the judges of Israel, and, and they will be the witnesses. You have to have witnesses in a trial, right? They're the witnesses. We also see God tells Moses to take the staff with him, the staff that struck the Nile that we talked about earlier, uh, the staff or rod of judgment. Okay, this is the staff that God used to judge Egypt. This rod is the judgment of God. You can read that in, in Exodus chapter 7 if you want. This is the rod of judgment. So he's saying we're going to have a trial. Go, bring the elders, and bring the staff, the rod. If found guilty, the rod or staff would be used to inflict the penalty. So Moses was going on trial, but not the trial of his own, but the trial representing God. Verse 6. Behold, I will stand 
before you there on the rock at Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Those words there are amazing to me. First thing we see here is that God tells Moses that he will stand before Moses. It's a profound statement. God will take the stand. He says, they want to put me on trial. Go, let's have a trial. And I will take the stand. Someone's bringing a charge against God. And God says, I'll take the stand. He is God. And all people will one day give an account for the life that they've lived. And yet he says he will take the stand. In the trial, God is taking the place of the accused. God said, Behold, I will take the stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. God stands on the rock and is even identified with the rock. As we sing earlier, God is the rock. He's even called the rock. If you read in Deuteronomy chapter 32, as we studied last Wednesday, verse 4 says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Verse 18. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. Verse 31. For their rock is not our rock, as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. Again, Moses talking about God being the rock. And in the Psalm, chapter 18. Psalm of David, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. So we see often God being called the rock. Then we see in verse 6 again, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. God told Moses that he will strike the rock, and the rock with the rod of judgment. God says, Strike the rock, and that not only am I standing on, but also I am identified with. God here is put on trial charged and found guilty and punished. Does this sound familiar to any of you? God being put on trial, being punished, being found guilty, and being killed. I hope that sounds very familiar to all of you. Not only that, God himself says that he will take the blow and he will take the rod upon himself. 
The people here, these rebellious sinners, are the ones who deserve being struck down. God could have stricken them down immediately for questioning him, his authority, and blaspheming him by uh, putting him on trial. But instead, he tells Moses to strike the rock. Jesus is the rock. He's not guilty, but he stands to receive the blow of judgment. Jesus, who is the shepherd of his people, not only leads them through the wilderness, he stands in their place that justice might be done. The penalty is discharged. Moses strikes a rock, and the Lord redeems by bearing judgment. And what happens next? Water comes out of the rock. In all of this, God blesses his people. He gives them water. This water comes directly from God himself. And it blesses his people. In John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus says, "What If anyone thirsts, let him come after me, and I will uh, give him water to drink. In John chapter 4, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman what? That if you drink of the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. So Jesus not only is a rock, he is the water. In verse 7, And he called the name of the place Mesa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? They called this place testing and quarreling is what those two words mean. Because this is a place where the people of God and put God on trial. They accused God and tried him. Okay, the rock here at Massa, struck by God's people and for God's people, is a type of Christ. Okay, if you read the Old Testament and you read uh, Paul and, and even the uh, author of Hebrews, he says that there are types and copies and shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament. So when we read the Old Testament, we should be reading it the way Jesus tells us to read it, to look for him. He says, this, this is about me. He says, go back and read this. This is about me. This is a perfect illustration as well as of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came, lived perfectly, was put on trial by the people, and was punished for sin. This is a gospel of the Old Testament. You may say, well, you're reading too much into that, Kevin. I'm only reading into it what, again, Hebrews and even Paul says and what Paul reads into it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, First Corinthians chapter 10, I'm starting verse 1. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Talking about the same story we just talked about. And all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, so we just talked about, and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not 
desire evil as they did. So again, Paul says that rock was Jesus. That rock was the Christ. And so I don't think I'm reading too much into it. I think I'm reading it the correct way and saying that as we read the Old Testament, we need to be looking for Jesus because he's in it. He's all throughout Scripture. And I also want to say that often we grumble when we should actually pray. We like to grumble. We like to, uh, as sinners, we like to think that we don't deserve where we're at in life or that we deserve better. But in all actuality, we deserve death and punishment and hell. But praise God that He loved us enough to send a son to die on the cross for our sins, to redeem us and to save us and to bring us into a relationship with Him and to He not only does it, He leads us as a shepherd that leads His sheep. And so if He's leading us and if we're trusting in that shepherd, then we are exactly where He has us. And we can trust Him in that. But oh, so hard is that? That's hard. There's so many things I would rather have or there's so many other places I would rather be. God says, no, you're, you're where I have you. I often think of the story of Job. Job questioned God. And God, he takes it for a little while, and it's okay to ask God questions. It's okay to pray to God and say, hey, God, why? Why did this happen? Why am I here? Why did someone I love die? Why did something I love be taken away from me? Why? But it comes to a point where we have to trust God because God then returns the question of Job. Says, where were you when I made all these things, when I made heaven and earth? Were you there, Job? Where were you when I taught the birds how to fly and the fish how to swim? Were you there, Job? Did you do any of that? And we see Job understands finally and says, God, I will shut my mouth. I will ask you no more questions. I am but dust. And that's what we are. God is good. Always. As David says, God gives and God takes away. Well, what follows that? Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? whether he gives or whether he takes away, we can still bless him. So I pray that we'll continue to bless the Lord. I know things are shaky in our nation right now, but you know what? God is on his throne. He is still God. He is still good. He's still in heaven. He still loves us. He still cares for us. And he still leads us. And we can trust him. So trust the Lord. Father, I thank you again for your word. Thank you that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. So Lord, help us not grumble. Help us not quarrel. Help us not bring claims against you and complaints against you. But Lord, help us trust you. Help us come to you in prayer when we need you, Lord, and when we don't. Help us follow you. Help us pray without ceasing. Lord, help us look for your voice, listen for your voice, and hear you and follow you. 
Lead us, Lord. Draw us closer to you. And it's your, your name I pray. Amen.